Before we get started, why don't we take a minute, let's pray this morning, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Father, thank you for uh, just the fact that we can have a relationship with you. And Father, really thank you for the folks who have helped to uh, build that and uh, develop that in each one of us. Uh, Father, would you give us insight and understanding into uh, your word today? Help us to really uh, see more clearly how we can do that in the lives of others. And we pray that, Father, in Jesus' name. Uh, I'd like to, uh, as we get started this morning, I'd like to show you guys a picture. This is one of my uh, favorite pictures in the world. If you get a chance to see it, we'll bring that up here. That's a good picture too, but that's not the one. Uh, it's this one right here. Now, this picture is one of my favorites for several reasons. Uh, well, one, there's a lot of uh, just laughter and, and, and love that's in this picture right here. And it's one of those things that, you know, I like to laugh. There's some people, you know, that honestly, we talked a little bit about that last night. You know, you, when they get real excited, they got to go, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't relate to those people, okay, I just, I'm telling you that up front, I just don't, but there are folks, you know, these guys, I, I like these guys, I, I love these guys, these guys love to laugh, but there's some other things here that, that make that important to me, That's, that represents four generations of establishing, establishing is what we're going to be talking a little bit about this morning, this represents four generations, if you see the guy just to my right, right there, that's a guy named Max Barnett who's uh, laughing his head off, and uh, now, Max built into the guy to his right. His name's Mike Thompson. Mike is a guy who built into me. I'm the guy who built in the guy on the far right. His name's Jeep Underwood. Melinda, she was along for the ride the whole time. But, uh, you know, and which about her, I probably wouldn't be around either. But, you know, what that represents to me when I see that picture is like 120 years of collective friendship. You know, of... of time that we have invested in lives with one another. And it's one of those things, what we're going to be looking at this morning, we're going to be looking at establishing, and what we've tried to do is kind of break up discipleship into two categories. One we'll look at this morning, one we'll look at tonight. It's, uh, this morning we're going to look at establishing, tonight we're going to look at equipping. Trying to break those up is kind of hard sometimes, because there's going to be bleed over into each one. You know, you're like, when have you finished establishing? When have you, you know, started equipping? Well, there's a lot of bleed over into each one. It's kind of like parenting. When you look at parenting, when you're looking at raising kids, raising them from the time they're born till, say, they're 10 or 11 is a whole different ballgame than raising them from the time they're like 10 or so till they're through their teens. Now, you know, I mean, if you don't believe me, ask parents, their agenda is totally different. Now, for some of you, you may think, well, my parents treat me the same now as they treated me when I was 10. Well, that's, counseling will take care of that for you, and you can work on that. That won't be that much of a problem. You can get through that. But their agenda should be different. Now, for instance, like uh, we, have, we have some parents of young kids here. Where's Cody? Cody's back here. Okay, Paul. Now, here, here they, now they have young children, Okay. You'll have to take this by faith. I used to. I have young grandchildren now. But, you know, they have young children. Now, when you guys think about what kind of things you're wanting to establish your kids in, what kind of things you're wanting to build into them, what do you think? What, do you, what are you trying to do right now? Trying to get them to obey. Trying to get them to obey. Simple thing, supposedly. Uh, you know, trying to get them to obey. What else? Not throw a huge fit when they don't get their way. Not throw a huge fit when they don't get their way. Others? Think, yeah, you know, try to actually, you know, there's someone else in the world besides you. 
you know, new thought for most people when they're that age. Anything else? Don't run into the street. Don't run into the street, yeah. You know, all those sort of things. I mean, you look at them, you know, they're trying to get them, you know, you have to teach kids to share. You have to teach them to love other people. You have to teach them treat other people rightly. You have to try to teach them to feed themselves. Have you ever seen that? I mean, honestly, we have, uh, we have some really young grandkids right now, and you put a spoon in their hands, and they're like, and you're like, well, that's pretty good. Let's just get that right off out of your eye, you know, and, you know, we'll try that again, you know. And then they pick it up, and they go, and you go, yeah, let's get that out of my eye now. You know, I mean, that's really, I mean, you know, they don't know what they're doing. But you're trying to work with them. But did you notice something? Most of what you're training them in has to do really with developing who they are, not what they accomplish. You're really trying to develop who they are. And that's one of the things in establishing. You're far more interested right now at this thing in you aren't looking so much for them to pass on life. You're going to get to that. But what you're really trying to look for is for them to have a life in which to pass on later on. And one of the biggest things you're trying to focus on is helping them know that they are loved and helping them know that they need to love others. That's one of the biggest, biggest things you want to develop. Now, let me just give you a quick thought so you can kind of remember this and store it away somewhere. One of the things that is true is sometimes, sometimes we have this idea that if people have a little bit of knowledge... That's good. So if we give them a lot of knowledge, that's great. I would say, yeah, not so much. And the reason being this, uh, this verse right here, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, Paul says this, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If any man supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if any man loves God, he is known by him. What Paul is saying is this right here. He's saying, you know what? Be careful what you do with knowledge. See, when when you have somebody who is a young believer, they really don't know what to do with knowledge most of the time. Most of the time with knowledge, they think it's about them. And so what are they trying to do constantly? They're trying to impress people with what they know. They want around, they sit in a small group and they're not there to participate, they're there to teach. You know, they come into a situation, they sit down at a table, they're there to let you know, well, I did happen to learn this. Did you know that? You know, and you're like, yeah, about 50 years ago. Uh, You know, but I mean, they're there to let you know stuff all the time. They're there to try to impress. But you see, when they learn to love, they begin to realize something, that knowledge is not about them. Knowledge is about others. Knowledge is to help you know how to serve others, and how to consider others in choices that you make. That's the purpose of knowledge. The purpose of knowledge is just not to puff you up. But the purpose of knowledge is actually to know how to really love others well. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, this Paul too, but I mean the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was really good at this. I mean, honestly, I I love the way he loved people. When you begin to look at him, you know, I mean, you look at Paul and you think, man, this guy is a disciple maker. This guy gets after it. And yet, if you look, what is the thing that he keeps coming back to again? What is the thing that characterizes his life? Well, it's love. When he's talking to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 7, he says, you know, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother 
caring for kids. Now, I guarantee you, most of you will have to take this by faith. You have not been nursing mothers, okay? But, you know, nursing mothers are not sitting there thinking, oh, you know, they're not sitting there holding this baby thinking, you're such a disappointment. You have no verses memorized. You've not shared the gospel with anybody. Oh, no, they're not thinking that at all. They're, they're thinking, oh, how I love this child. I want them to know. I want to care for them. I want them to know they're safe. I want to protect them. That's what they're thinking. You know, he goes on to say there in, in verse 8, he says, you know, having uh, such a fond affection for you, we're willing to impart to you not only the gospel, but our own lives as well. Because that's what's going to be needed if you're going to establish people. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you your life. He's going to have to choose to invest part of your life in that. He goes on in verse 11 and he says, We were exhorting and encouraging and admonishing each one of you like a father does his own children. And you think, well, now that's, that's just the Thessalonians though, right? I mean, you know, that's, that's one group. Well, you know, you go on. Paul's talking to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 5.1 he says, Imitate your father. Live a life of love. You look on, and when he's talking to the, uh, to the Galatians, he says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. When he's talking to the Philippians, he says, You know, it is only right for me to feel this way because I have you in my heart. And even this morning, as I was reading in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 4, Paul's been talking to them about how he's had to correct them, and he says, you know the reason I corrected you was because of my deep love for you. And so, you know, you're thinking, so Paul, yeah, in fact, when he's establishing Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.5, one of the things he says to Timothy, who he calls his true child in the faith, he says, Timothy, the goal of our instruction, in other words, the thing that we're aiming towards that's behind all the things I'm teaching you is love from a pure heart and a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. So over and over and over, Paul is trying to emphasize, guys, you have got to really love the people you work with. Now, how, how do you become like that? How, what does that begin to look like? I'd like us to look at that a little bit today. We're going to look at this from two vantage points. We're going to look at it from the vantage point of you being the one who is building in, and then you being the one who's being built into. So uh, I want to get a little bit of a look at both of those. But let's start with you being the one building in. So if you're the one establishing, here's a few helpful, helpful tips for you. One, be someone who listens. Okay? Be someone who listens. Now, this is a learned trait. And I guarantee you, it is often hard. I mean, what tends to happen is when you sit down to work with someone, you want to let them know all the things that you want to teach them. And man, I mean, you just, you know, you're sitting there and you're so impressed and wrapped up with what you have to say that often you don't hear what they have to say. And when you do, people don't feel loved like that. I was working with uh, one of our uh, grandkids, little Corey. You guys didn't get to see Corey. Corey was here last week. Corey is two going on 30. And um, Corey uh, was running around the house one day and, and she was over there playing and so I'm playing with her a little bit and we're talking and I'm, I'm starting to tell her something and all of a sudden she goes, Papa, shh, I'm telling you something. And I thought, you know, you're right. I just kind of sat back and listened for a while. And boy, I mean, her little heart just began to swell because I was actually listening to her. 
And, you know, when you're two, most people don't listen to you. They kind of ignore you or they kind of go, that's cute. And they don't even pay any attention to you. But, boy, to be listened to was like life to her. You know what? You're going to find the same way with people you work with. You know what? You need to learn to listen to them. A second thing, be someone who encourages. Be someone who encourages. Hebrews 3.13, the author of Hebrews says, Let us encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One of the things you want to do is you want to be someone who comes in and encourages. You know, most people know what they're doing wrong. What they'd really like to know is, is there anything they're doing right? And what you need to do is be someone who comes in and points out some of those things in their life. Now, for some of you, you may be thinking, well, they haven't done it exactly right yet. <laughs> That's okay. Note progress, not perfection, okay? Begin to notice you're, you're making progress in this. I mean, I had a guy, Mike Thompson, that I showed you earlier. I mean, this guy, he had to look hard, hard to find things I was doing right. I mean, you know, he'd be like, oh, Neil, your socks match today. That's good. You know, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean it, it was work because, you know, I mean, the guy just, I mean, he has gone out of his way for 44 years to encourage me all the time. And, you know, I mean, largely he's the reason I'm around today. But, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of you need to have a ministry of encouragement in the people you're trying to establish. Third thing, be someone who shares truth with them. Be someone who shares truth with them. Yeah, you want to encourage, but you know, you need to also love people enough to correct them. Most of the time, what I find is people love the idea of encouragement, but the idea of correction, they're kind of like, oh, could, could, maybe I could tell Paul and Paul could tell them. Or maybe I'll tell, you know, I'll tell Cody or I'll tell or I'll, I'll tell Gary, and Gary will talk to him, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, boy, I'll tell you what, put down the heavy gun now, you know, I mean, these guys, you know, they don't have to listen to me. And, but the reason we do that is because, you know what, we really don't love them. We really love us. And we want them to love us as much as we love us. And so we think if I correct them, they may not. So I'll just kind of go ahead and let them ruin their lives as long as they fall off the cliff thinking, I really liked him. He was a nice guy, you know, all the way down to the bottom. And what you need to do, you need to be willing to correct. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So you need to be someone who corrects. Um, Ephesians 4, 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know... All of us like to be in relationships where we can just be ourselves. But you need to be in relationships where you're called to be your best version of yourself. In fact, you need someone around that's going to coach you to do that. You need someone around that's going to coach you to be your very best. Everybody needs that. And so one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, okay, who, who's doing that with me? Who is helping bring out the best in me? We had a guy on our campus in... Uh, this guy was a, uh, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, the guy's an architect, and he was like a, uh, in his fifth year, and so final year, and so he's over there, and he's involved. He's like at the top of the architect school, and he was uh, doing some things with us in challenge. He was on ministry team. He was working with us, and I, one of the things I tend to do is I observe people. 
And so I watch them, and I, I tend to, I've been watching many of you, so now you can be really weirded out. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I do, I watch people. And as I was watching him one day, I, I thought, you know, we need to chat. So I said, hey, Anthony, why don't, we, uh, why, don't, why don't we grab breakfast? And so he said, okay. So we got together, and I said, uh, hey, you know, Anthony, um, I got a question for you. And he's like, okay. I said, when do you think you're going to begin to leverage the gifts God's giving you? And there was this silence, and I thought, well, this could be the end of a wonderful friendship right here. I don't really know where this is headed. He kind of sat there for a minute. He goes, you know, I think if you were to talk to other people and challenge, they would say that I probably do as much or more than anybody else. I said, yeah, I think you're probably right. And he sat there and he goes, I think if you were to talk to my professors, they would probably tell you that I am uh, doing very well and I'm at the top of my class. I said, no doubt they would. And we both just sat there in silence for a minute. He goes, yeah, but you know I go home every night thinking I could do so much more. But no one ever needs it. No one ever calls for it. He goes, what would it look like for me to begin to leverage things. I said, well, I'm glad you asked. I just happened to have a few thoughts on that. So we sat down and talked about that. And let me tell you something. Over the course of that year, he began to leverage who he was and the gifts God had given him. And as a result of that, by the end of the year, there were like 12 architects that were involved with this. Now, if, you don't, if you've never been an architect student or something like that, especially at a place like SC, SC is one of the top architect places, but... If you've never been an architect, you probably don't know this, but architects are like busy, like 24-7. They're in studio. They, they live in studio. They're doing all these different things. You know, they just like, you know, architects feel like they're too busy for everybody. And yet, there were like 12 of them that were totally involved with us as a result of Anthony's life. But the result was, it came about because someone was willing to speak truth into his life. You need to be willing to do that with people. The fourth thing, be someone who protects them. Now, I don't know about you, but what I found is this. When we had kids, what I found is my kids were amusing. Other people's kids were annoying. Uh, you know, sometimes what you find is people feel the same way about people you're working with. They'll get around them and they'll say, oh, you know, there's so-and-so or something. You need to be someone, I'm not talking about, you know, be crazy or stupid or anything, but you need to be someone who makes sure that people you're working with are fairly represented, make sure that they're treated right. David in Psalm 105, verse 5 said, Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, I will put to shame. You need to have a thought that, you know what? One of my jobs as a person who's following this person up is to really protect them, to make sure that they're fairly represented before others. Fifth thing. And probably one of the most important, if not the, be someone who loves them. Be someone who loves them. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one for another. Now, 
if you want to know what it's really going to take, you know, one of, one of the things that's going to help the people you're working with, how are they going to learn to love other people? By watching the way that you've actually loved them. When they see how you've loved them, then they have a picture in their mind of this is how I should love other people. Now, a lot of times when we're thinking about that, you know, we think, oh, you know what, that's right. I mean, every time I get around somebody, I'm going to give them a big hug, and I'm just going to be, you know, like me, heart, you, you know, and it's, they're just going to get it, you know. And I think, mm, that's not how Jesus did that. You start looking at how Jesus loved people, what did he do? Well, one thing he did, he served them. I mean, you know, they had needs. He met needs. He met practical needs. When he was with the 5,000 and they were hungry, what did Jesus do? He fed them. Yeah. Did you notice that? When he was with the 12 and they had dirty feet, what did he do? He washed their feet. He didn't wash the feet of the 5,000. Did you notice that? He washed the feet of the 12. Why? Their feet were dirty. I mean, Peter's over there and Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then, you know, Peter goes, wash me all over. And Jesus goes, no, thanks. Uh, so, uh, you know, kind of steps back. and He's like, yeah, no. Uh, he says, I'll tell you, uh, the one whose feet are dirty only needs his feet washed, you know, and uh, kind of goes on. Jesus met practical needs. He served. That's one of the things that if you want to, you know, help people, love them, serve them. You know, another thing he did, he accepted people just like they were. I mean, have you ever stopped and done a study on the 12 that Jesus selected? I mean, kind of a squirrely bunch in some ways, you know what I mean? But man, he accepted them just like they were. What you're going to find in your life is this. Acceptance yields influence. If you want to influence someone, you need to accept them where they are. Now, acceptance doesn't mean approval. It doesn't mean you approve of everything they do. But what you do is you accept them where they are just like they are. And God will give you influence in their lives. So, love them. The sixth thing. Be someone who pursues God with them. Be someone who pursues God with them. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the author of Hebrews says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day draws near. So you want to be someone who pursues God with him. So what does that look like? Well, let me, let me give you some things that looks like. One, talk with them about how to spend time with God and why. Talk with them about how to spend time with God and why. Talk with them about how to memorize scripture and why. Talk with them about how to pray and why? See, like, there's a lot of people that they sit around and you ask them, you know, do you pray? Well, yeah, kind of. Why do you pray? Uh, they need to know why. They need to know there are things God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. And so you need to pray. And they need to understand the whys behind it. You need to also teach them how to love others and why. You need to teach them how to tell others about Christ and why. And lastly, you need to teach them to really obey Jesus from the heart and why. Now here's the thing, men and women. If they don't get the why, they're not going to do it long term. They may do it as long as they're around this group, 
They may even do it a little bit after they get out of this group. But eventually, if they don't know why they're doing what they're doing, they'll stop doing it. There has to be a bedrock conviction of, this is why I do this. So be someone who pursues God with them. Seven, be someone who enjoys them. Have you ever had someone work with you that you really got the feeling they just endured you? They didn't enjoy you? Yeah. You know, they kind of show up and they go, Hi, how are you? Let's cover things. And you're going, great. You know, and you're sitting there just thinking, Dear Lord, come quickly. Uh, you know, because, you know, you need to be someone who actually enjoys the people you're working with. Now, that's going to look a lot like liking them, respecting them, thinking that they have something to contribute. In Romans 12.10, Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You ever want to have a contest? There's your contest. Outdo one another in showing honor. Begin to figure out, how can I really show honor? How can I really just enjoy this person that I'm around? Number eight, be someone who believes in them. Be someone who believes in them. Now, we all have people who have known us for like a season, and we have people that have known us for multiple seasons. We have some people that see us exactly for who we are. Those people really frustrate us. Uh, we have some people that see us for who we'd like to be. We really enjoy those people. Uh, what we need is someone who sees us for who we are, but who we could be. That's what we need. That's the role you play in folks that you're establishing. You want to see them not just for who they are. You do want to see that accurately. Do not mistake potential for performance. Those are two different things. Sometimes we'll be talking to staff and somebody will go, yeah, so-and-so, I think, you know, they need to uh, work on this a little bit. And one of the other staff people will go, oh, no, I like them. Went down, look over, and I said, This has nothing to do with liking them. We all like them. And it's like, well, 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 and I said, No, 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 no. You know, what you're saying is they're really doing this. Are they really doing it? No. But I think they could. We all do. That's called potential. But as an old uh, psychologist, Barry Switzer, once said, Potential means you ain't done it yet. You know, so. You need to remember, don't confuse potential and performance. But boy, as you're working with them, believe in them. You know, Jesus did this with Peter. I mean, you look at the life of Peter. Peter, over and over, when you read about him, all he does is open his mouth to exchange feet. You know, he takes one out, puts the other one in. And, I mean, he's the only one you see in the Bible that had the unique uh, distinction of being rebuked by God the Father and God the Son. I mean, you know, you just don't normally see that. I mean, you know, he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, you know, John says, and Peter, not knowing what to say, said, you know, and then Peter went, rah, 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 you know, and then you hear a voice from heaven where, you know, God says, this is my son, listen to him. And Peter went, oh, okay. so back a little bit. Later on, you know, Jesus is describing for the folks, he says, hey guys, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be uh, crucified. And, um, you know, three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead, you know. And, and Peter goes, <clears throat> Jesus, 
And he calls him aside. Now, Jesus, uh, that's not going to be... And what does Jesus say? Ah, Peter, good guy. No, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're kind of thinking, Satan? God. Santa, maybe. But Satan, I mean, you know, what, you're going, what the heck? You know, I mean, you're looking at this and you're thinking, wow. You know, well, that was his distinction. So when the every time Peter opened his mouth, the disciples kind of went, mm-hmm. you know. And you see that a little while later. Acts chapter 2, you look there and all of a sudden it says, you know, the guys are there, the Holy Spirit has fallen down, people are beginning to speak in all these different languages that all of the people that are gathered can understand. It says, and some of the people began to say, these men are drunk. That's what happened. And then Peter stands up and goes, <clears throat> and all the disciples go, ah. you know. And then Peter goes, that's not true. This is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel too. And he begins to go on. And all of a sudden, 3,000. And everybody goes, Peter? Yeah. That's Peter once he's gotten under the control of Jesus. That's Peter once, you know, he's like, but, you know, how did Peter, how did Peter get that? Well, I mean, you look at Jesus when Jesus is describing Peter. What did he say to him? Peter, you will be known as Peter the Lift. No. He says, you know what, Peter? You are the rock. You are the one on which I'm going to build this whole thing. You are the rock. And I think, wow, to have someone who can see you as you are and is willing to call you on that, but at the same time can see you for who you can become and help you become that. You need that. I need that. Everybody needs that. So those are some tips if you are the one who's building in. Now, what if you're the one who is... Uh, who is uh, being built into. What are some things you need to know? Let me give you a couple that you might want to think about. One is this. I would realize that the training you're going to receive will probably look a little different than you're anticipating right now. It will probably look a little bit different than what you're envisioning. And I'll give you a couple of stories to kind of help you to see that a little bit. A guy I used to work with years ago at the University of Oklahoma and his name was Chuck. And Chuck was a guy, Chuck was one of these kind of guys, I mean, he'd gone to A&M, and he was, uh, he was a, a Marine, and I mean, the guy was like, you know, this, uh, he was like this man's man kind of a guy. And when he got out of the Marines, he went to work with a, a group called the Navigators. And so there was this grid uh, named Leroy Imes who was uh, going to build into him. And so what Leroy did, Leroy would say, okay, you know, I'll tell you what, Chuck, why don't you do this? Why don't you come over to my house? And so Chuck did. And they'd come over to his house. He'd come over to Chuck's house. I mean, Chuck would come over to Leroy's house like every morning about five days a week for three hours in the morning. And they would do things like, you know, they would lift weights. And sometimes they would sit out in the sun. And sometimes they would, you know, uh, drink uh, some concoction with juice and stuff because it's supposed to give you extra stamina. And, you know, they would, you know, do different things. And then, you know, sometimes Chuck, Leroy would have him polishing his shoes. So he'd have him cleaning out the creek behind his house. Or he'd have him do it. And Chuck, you hear Chuck tell it, Chuck would say, oh, my God. He said, Leroy would take five minutes to tell me about a project he wanted me to do. And he said, but the project would take me hours to accomplish. He said, now, here's the problem. He had a lot more five minutes than I had hours. 
And he said, you know, this went on for two and a half years. And he said, I really began to get kind of pissed. Because I was thinking, man, I am not learning the stuff I need to be learning. He said, well, at the end of two and a half years, the NAS sent him out to UC Irvine to launch the campus ministry there. And he said, I'm three months into the campus ministry, and I write this long letter back to Leroy, thanking him for Houston. He said, because I began to realize I knew what I was doing. I knew how to do this. I knew how to do that. I knew how to do these other things. I knew how to deal with people. I knew how to think about things. He said, I had learned these things simply from being with him. He said, you know, it was the thing we looked at last night, Mark 3.14, where it says, Jesus appointed 12 so that they would be with him and he could send them out. It's the with him principle. He said, you know, I've learned all these things from from Leroy, and he said, I, I sent him a letter saying, Leroy, I never understood fully what you were about. But now I'm reaping the benefits of it. And when I talked to Seth about uh, a couple of months back, he said, we were talking about that a little bit. He said, you know, I'm still reaping the benefits of the time I spent with Leroy because I learned so much about how to be the kind of man I needed to be and how to begin to think in a different way as a disciple of Christ. Totally different thing. So if you're one of those people right now, maybe someone's meeting with you and they're kind of following you up and you're thinking, uh, when are we going to get to the good stuff? Well, you may already be there. You may already be there. They may just be working with you and you just don't even realize it yet. So you know what? Begin to figure out that training may look a little bit different. The second thing I'd tell you, if you're one of those being followed up, it's the only shortcut to spiritual growth that I know. Teachability and humility. I see people all the time that want to try to figure out, how do I microwave spiritual growth? How do I just make it go faster? And I think, mm, no, this is more of a crockpot thing. This isn't a microwave thing. You know, you're going to need to just kind of be patient a little bit as God develops you. But one of the things I do see, if you want to escalate it at all, the only way I know to do that is be teachable. If you will actually listen and take things to heart, put them into practice, and you really have the humility to be able to ask questions. You know why we don't ask questions? Because we show people we don't know things. So we don't want them to know that. So we walk around and make statements all the time, and we don't know what we're talking about. Ask questions. Be humble. What I would tell you is this. You know, solid establishing, if you're really working with people, the basis of that, kind of the base floor for that, is real relationships. Not ministry relationships. Real relationships based in love. Now I'll tell you why I see the difference as, as we wrap up. You know, we had a group on our campus that uh, kind of, you know, dissolved last year and several of those folks came over and they were uh, joining us and, and working with us, and, and um, some of them, you know, really wonderful. Most of them, most all of them, wonderful, wonderful people. And so I, uh, there's this one guy I'm meeting with, and as we're getting together, you know, we've been meeting together for a while, and one day he asked me a question. He says, so, um, Neil, do you see anything? He goes, I noticed that you kind of observe people sometimes. Yeah, I kind of do that sometimes. And he goes, 
You notice anything I need to work on? I said, yeah. How straight do you want that? Oh. Um, I, I, I think straight. Okay. I said, well, you need to learn how to have real relationships. Yeah. You think I have fake relationships? I said, no, I think you have ministry And you know what? That's not going to produce. Well, what do you mean by that? I said, and I mentioned this one guy who's there, who he'd worked with the whole year before. This guy's in a wheelchair and uh, struggles to get around some, you know. Uh, and so I said, uh, I mentioned this guy to him, and I said, now last year you worked with me. Oh, yeah, man, I worked with him all year long. I said, that's great. And he said, yeah, I mean, man, I taught him how to have quiet time. I taught him how to memorize scripture. I taught him how to share his faith. I taught him that he, he rattles off about five things. That's wonderful. Why is he in that picture? Let's stop. I said, let me tell you why he's in the picture. You know. I said, yeah, I've only been around him one time for an hour. But I can tell you why. I think I get what you think. I said, yeah, you know what? It's not enough to just pass information on. You have got to really invest relationally in the person that you're trying to establish. You've got to really love the person. See, the person he built into, they know a lot of information. But you know what? When I said I don't think he's not even sure he's in the team. Why? Because he had all of these things that were going on inside of him that were never explored because no one took the time to listen to him. No one took the time to walk with him. No one took the time to just love him and be his friend. They were passing on information. Men and women, um, information is not going to make the difference in people's lives. What's going to make the difference is love and a relationship where they can see it done. And they can see what that looks like. So what I would encourage you is this. As you're making disciples, as you are working to establish people, build relationships based on genuine love. And begin to really develop that. And if you think, man, I need to work on that. Well, work on it now. Work on it now. Because you've got people around that you can learn from and you can learn with. You can ask questions too. It will never be easier for you to grow in this than it is right now. So take the time to do that. Well, let me pray for us. And we'll uh, invite the band back. Lord, thanks for uh, examples like the Apostle Paul who show us how to uh, really love people deeply and at the same time take them along with us so that they can learn how to love you, how to walk with you, how to really obey you from the heart. Help us to be as wise, to do those very things. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.